0: Okay, got it. Ready? Mm-mm. You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> Shh. I'm trying something new. I'm trying to stay on the PowerPoints. If you've been here before, how often does that work? It never <laughs> does. I am just bouncing off of them. As I'm starting this, by the way, challenge courses don't challenge me. I can hang from ropes all day. I can dance across those things. They're fun for me. I enjoy that. You know what's challenging for me? Starting a nonprofit organization, putting my name on a piece of paper that says, you are responsible for this, you are going to be financially liable for all the stuff that happens, that scares me to death. But if I'm not willing to take that step myself and learn and grow and risk failing, how about that for an idea? If I'm not willing to risk failing myself, who am I to come talk to you guys about it? Who am I to ask people in a space that I'm building to challenge themselves and grow? So we're all in this together. Just because I happen to be standing up front talking doesn't mean I have this dialed in. We're all working on this together and figuring it out. This is the statement, though, that is powering everything that I do. And I'd love for more people to understand it. I'm never going to dishonor God's power by having such low expectations ever again. We do that so, so often. We just don't stretch ourselves because we're afraid that God's not going to take care of us or we're not going to do it well we're not going to survive in some way and I'm I'm tired of that so I am willing I'm willing to crater out I'm willing to fail and just completely mess up because I don't ever want to dishonor God by having such low expectations ever again ever all right we're gonna try something new this year, and again, I've never done it before. We're gonna see how well it works. It might totally crater and bomb, but again, in a failure class, it just becomes the next story, so I don't have much to lose. There's a pile of handouts. I actually have handouts that people can actually take notes on and fill out, so if maybe Chelsea and Mitch, if you wouldn't mind passing those out to some. For people who like to fill in blanks and do those things, that's the space. If you need something to doodle on, that's the space as well. If you need something to write notes back and forth to each other, that'll work, too. Um, what are my hopes for the class? As I was thinking about what do I get to do with Failure 201 again, I spend a lot of time going, what do I want you guys to walk away with? What's the nugget? How do I want you to be changed? How do I want you to be different? And I wrote down some, some ideas uh, of how I want to move you through that process, how I want to help you guys change in some way. Questions I'm asking is, how do we actually change? I think here in Refuge we're going, my goodness, I've been here for how long and I'm still struggling with the same thing over and over and over again. Why can't I actually get a handle on this? Why can't I finally break through this? Why can't I deal with this thing that is holding me back? So what is it that actually produces change? By the way, it's not information. Information Information's helpful, it's a tool, but it's not the thing that changes you. Next question I'm asking is how are beliefs shaped? There are certain beliefs that you have about yourself and about the world out there. How do those get shaped? How do those form this um, foundational place into failure in your perspective of making mistakes? Um, why is failure so powerful? How come just screwing up and making mistakes can keep someone stuck for 10 years before they try again? I got a friend of mine, that's, that's his story. He got fired from a job and it took him 10 years to be able to recover from that. How come that is so powerful? I think there's answers to this. Um, What would happen? What would happen if our values, who we are as a person, what we believe about ourselves was solid, was permanent, did not actually change, didn't actually shift? What would we try? The statement I've heard is if you are guaranteed not to fail, it could never, ever happen what would you actually try? I love that question. It's a question of dreaming and thinking. If you were guaranteed not to fail, what would you do different? I know how I'd answer that question. How would you? And then finally, the concept of grace. The first thing on the notes there is I actually want to change the name of the class, isn't it? Something like that. I actually want to change the name of the class to graceful failure. I think that would actually be more appropriate instead of failure 201, which is just very, you know, scholastic and stuff. When we are able to fail and still accept ourselves. That's the idea of grace. Grace is while you are imperfect, while you are flawed, while you are not good enough, I will still accept you. We hate grace. Because most of us like to earn it for ourselves, don't we? We like to go, I can prove I'm good enough. I can guarantee that my efforts, my work is going to make me better. And we can't, actually. But we want to. We want to try. So learning how to actually accept grace-filled failure. Graceful failure. That's what I want to change the name of the class to. I don't know if I will just because all the notes are printed up, failure 201. But that's that's the concept of what we're kind of doing all of this. Making sense? I'm going to change the name of the class. Oh, what's going to happen here? All right. Ready to get started? We're going to jump into some of this. Failure. Okay, by the way, sorry, I'm going to get distracted and go back and forth. A rough outline for the the six weeks that we're going to do. There's a, a success and failure mindset that we have to actually lay down the foundation before we can jump into some of the content here. And because um, I've already done Failure 101, and I actually assumed there would be more people in the room who had seen or heard that, I'm gonna do a quick flyby and recap of that next week. Um, I might actually stretch it out to two weeks if, if, because we have so many people who actually heard, haven't heard. How many have heard Failure 101? Maybe not even were here. All right, so we just probably have, you know, nine or ten people. So this would actually be new content for everybody. So we could recap some of that. But in, in the meantime, we're going to cover things like confirmation bias, success bias, um, learned helplessness, and how to get lucky. Okay, we'll save that for the last week. We'll need more chairs. Um <laughs> There's a mindset that sets people apart who who are able to embrace their failures. There's a a mindset that they're able to say, my failures aren't going to actually shape who I am and what I am about. Um, Like I mentioned before, the only way to overcome the fear of failure is to do something. Thinking about it is never going to be enough. That's bad news for some people. That's good news for others. But what that means, as we work through this class over the next six weeks, is I'm going to ask you to do things. Will that be okay? Some of you are just going, man, I just want to attend, I just want to learn, maybe this will actually, you know, help me out by having this information. It won't. I'm an incredibly experiential counselor and and therapist. I like making my clients do things so that's, that's what you guys get to do. So if we're going to do things, if we're going to actually trying things like that, um, what's it going to take? I want you to be thinking in your mind, what's it going to take for me to be able to actually willing to try something? Doing something builds resilience. That's an incredibly important word that I think most of the, most of the scholastic educational system doesn't quite um, pick up anymore. Resilience is about learning how to endure difficult and painful situations. It isn't about avoiding them. A lot of our energy, mental energy, is spent going, How can I avoid failure? How can I avoid pain? How can I avoid discomfort? And I'm I'm the bearer of bad news because that's not what we're going to do. I actually want you to fail more. How many are glad you came? How many are going? All right, I'm gonna know when I got my Monday nights free now because I'm not coming back. (laughs) It's so counterintuitive. We hate we hate having to go through it, and yet if we don't go through it, we never build resilience. I've talked about the emotional weight room that we get into. my son plays football, and he goes to the weight room every every morning during uh, summer here, just to bulk up and uh, get stronger, so that when football season starts, he's a big lineman. Um, he loves to flatten the guy next to him; just he just takes him down. It's really fun to watch, by the way, as a father to watch your son clobber somebody else it makes you feel feel proud. But if he gets into the weight room and he sits down on the on the bench press and he goes, eh, it's heavy and puts the bar back down. Because he doesn't want to strain, he doesn't want to grow, he doesn't want to push himself, how strong is he gonna get? My son's gonna get flattened, he's gonna get clobbered. So he goes to a place intentionally looking to stretch himself, looking intentionally to to work out and become stronger. That is what you guys get to do for the next six weeks, should you choose to accept it. I'm going to ask you to grow and stretch yourself in some practical, tangible way, emotionally. We learn how to sit in harder and harder and harder situations. Overcoming your fear of failure is inherently experiential. I'm kind of beating that one to death. So this summer we're going to try to do more than listen. Okay? We crave safety. We grow best when we are safe but uncomfortable. I'm going to say that again. We grow best when we are safe but uncomfortable. So the bad news is, is my job is to make you uncomfortable. I'm glad I'm here. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a fun time. So to do that, um, let's just try something here. I put my thing in front of the speaker, so it's going to get squeaky. Yeah. All right, let's try this. I need... Um, Three volunteers, please. Give me some volunteers, volunteers, volunteers. One, two, thank you, three. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Let's put that right there. Hey, it didn't squeak that time. I'm just going to come right here and grab these if you don't mind. All right, perfect. Coming up in the front for me, please. Thank you. Very good. Yes, two guys and a girl. This is going to be fantastic. Guys, come over here. Come on over here. All right. Um, in my office, I have a dart board. I just like darts. They're a lot of fun. So, gentlemen, if you wouldn't mind holding that, just hang on to those for a second. Uh oh. Grab that and stick it back on there. All right. Very good. Very good. Very good. All right. Would you hold that, please? And come right over here. Turn one, just, just hold it right up. There you go. All right, gentlemen. <laughs> I did actually. What do you think? Are we ready to go? No. Do you want to change your volunteering status at all? Are you okay? No, I'm trusting you. You trust these guys? No, I don't I trust, trust me. I don't, I don't. have the darts. I have no control right now. This is terrifying, isn't it? No. I'm no. Really? Wow. For some reason, I have every confidence. It's not going to. happen. Braver than me, because that would be. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that would be terrible. Let's bring this over here. I don't think that's going to hold. That's going to fall off, and when it does, it's going to make a large crash. Just be aware, okay? It's going to happen. Come on over here, guys. Wonderful. There is a small child behind you. Please don't bump into the nice family here, okay? We're going to have you come stand right over here if you guys want to just be careful. What I'm going to ask you to do is you're just going to get three darts, and you're going to try to put it into the bullseye, okay? Stand away. See how well you guys... See how well you do. You're going to have to back up a little bit more because that's filling from the little kids section. Very nice. What's your name? Michael. Michael. Michael's up. Let's see how well Michael does. This is going to get fun. All right. He's a lefty. Not bad. Not bad at all. Okay. First round. Hey, see? All right. Sorry about that. Your name is? Connie. Connie. How many think Connie's going to do better? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's see how Connie does. Oh, boy. All right. Inside the circle. Hey, two in there. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. All, all right. Yeah, all Give us your name. James. James is up. Let's see what James can do. Oh, look at he has a stance. Okay, one, two. All right, very nice. Who did the best? James? I'm gonna vote for James. Who did the best? Connie. I think Michael did. We have a vote. Connie voted for Michael. Is that even allowed? Okay. So he came closer. Who did best? We're voting for Michael. Oh, they all did their best. All right, so we have someone who's trying to balance that nice. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings line, and we're just going to say everybody wins. Here's a participation certificate. Well done. Good job, Michael. One more round. Let's see how you do. Don't squish the little baby. Okay. Pressure's on now. Okay. Uh-oh. Oh! It's in the 50, not the 100, just so you know. He's not that good. All right. <laughs> Connie, pressure's on. One, two, closer. Ooh, okay. All right. Not as many oohs and ahs. James, see what you can do. He closed his eyes, by the way, I saw that. You didn't see that, he's showing off, he's showboating now, okay? You saw that too, all right. Oh. Okay, so he has some grouping thing going on, we could talk about that. Who did better that time? Michael. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. You can sit down. Now we're going to take that down because that's going to fall. Perfect. The game of darts is exactly how most people view success and failure. They see it as there is one target and if you don't hit the target, did you succeed or fail? How many of them hit the bullseye? Yeah. So they're all failures. They suck. Okay? That's just what this, <laughs> this experience tells us. is They're not very good at darts, and they failed, and they should get voted off the island, right? <laughs> That's how it works, because no one hit the target. When we can change our mentality around failure from targets to goals a lot of things change. This is incredibly important when it comes to understanding how we view ourselves and our behavior and, and uh, success and failure. Most of us believe that we have to get a bullseye in the dartboard to actually be a success. You, that is when you hit the target. But what if the goal, what would be an, uh, an appropriate goal when it comes to the game of Darts. Not hit the wall. See, that's okay, so we're going for the negative. I don't want to hit anybody else out there. By the way, you would have been safe holding that. They all got it onto the board, so that's pretty good. To do better than you did before. To do better than you did, before. did they do that? Yeah. Do you think they improved? Yeah. Michael, I mean, just, man, he rocked it. He just narrowed it in a little bit more. And if we were to let them do that over and over and over all night long, do you think that they would probably get better or worse? No. Better or worse. Yeah, typically, no. We have someone shaking their head no. They, get they what? They wouldn't get better if you ever bowled before. Okay. We, we have a bowling analogy going on up here that, that is... Over time, though, do you think that people tend to improve? Yeah. Good. The thing called muscle memory, there's, you know... and it, uh, Okay, we might need to hire a dart coach, okay? If anyone wants to start a business, that is, you know, how to become a dart coach. So here's a proper throwing stance. Here's how to hold the thing right. Here's how to not close your eyes, James, okay? Here's, you can throw it that way. But over time, we tend to get better. If that was how we measured success or failure... How many of them succeeded? All of them. Because, again, we can assume that they are going to start getting better and better. And so they actually started to gain success, and they, none of them were a failure. Now, none of them hit the target second round in, but if we were to play this more and more, I bet you their statistics would go up higher and higher and higher. Would you agree? How we define success and failure is incredibly important, because if we look at it as a one single event, then we get stuck. Then we end up in this place that says, oh, one event, one time in history, now proves or demonstrates that I am either a failure or a success, and it ignores the process completely. That mindset has kept so many of us stuck and rooted into into, um, bad behavior over and over and over again because we never ever give ourselves permission to look at the process instead of the one specific end goal. Um, One of the problems with studying this is I'm constantly learning, and I heard a thing today a podcast from somebody, Sarah Lewis. From Yale, she actually studies, studies the concept of mastery versus success. I didn't get it on the notes, but um, I just added this in today. But the concept of mastery versus success, um, she says that success typically means that you want approval. It is saying, "Look it, I did it. Now there's some sort of external thing which validates why I am important or why I am worthy now, and it's measurable and other people can see it." Versus mastery which is I might not have succeeded in that particular event, but I am gaining mastery over it. I am getting better at it. I am progressing and growing. That usually means that I have an internal level of acceptance of myself. It means that what I am doing is, is I'm not listening to other people. Internal validation versus external validation. External validation is, is I'm not allowed to think good things about myself unless other people out there think good things about me. That's also called being held hostage. Because I can walk up to any number of people and their opinion is going to differ, which now means I've got to change for you. Oh, wait, you're different. I've got to change for you. Nope, I've got to change for you. Nope, I've got to change. That gets exhausting really, really fast. It just becomes overwhelming, and and it's an impossible way to maintain. So when you gain mastery, you are moving into a state that says, I'm going to internally validate myself, and I'm not going to be dependent upon other people's opinions for me to find that acceptance within myself. Anyone know the name Florence Chadwick? That's Florence right here. In 1952, Florence Chadwick decided she was going to swim between the California coast and the island of Catalina, 26 miles. 26 miles. That's a long way to swim. She um, started on the island of Catalina swimming to California, and um, she swam for 15 hours, 15 hours back in 1952, to get to the coast of California. As she was about three-quarters of the way across, a massive fog just kind of rolled in. And so she was swimming in the fog. She had support boats with her and and people alongside to make sure she didn't drown and things like that. But they they weren't allowed to touch her. They weren't allowed to do anything to help her. And so she swam and swam and swam and swam for 15 hours. She, She got... Um, after, after the 15th hour, she said, my body is done. I, just, I can't do it anymore. I'm exhausted. I, I, I'm done. I can't do it. And so she swam over to the boat, and she crawled into the boat. After she crawled into the boat, and they sat there for a little while, the fog lifted, and she realized she was less than a mile from the coast. She just swam 15 miles. She swam 25 of the 26 miles. And she said, I can't do it because she actually lost sight of the goal. And so she said, I can't believe it. I just can't and believe it. So about six months later, she jumps in the ocean again, swims another 15, probably 16 hours that time, and ends up in this moment right here, where she actually crawls out of the ocean onto the coast of California. heres I mean, this reporter is excited, isn't he? He is jumping in there. <laughs> Surprised he doesn't electrocute himself with that microphone. <laughs> pulls her out of there, talks to her, and they ask, what was different this time? And she said, this time, I learned my lesson, and I had the coast visualized in my mind's eye. Even though I couldn't see it, because I couldn't see it last time, I knew I was that close, and this time, I saw it in my mind's eye, and I kept swimming for that one. The ability to choose your perspective, the ability to say, this this goal, not the target, okay? Because we're gonna miss the target all the time. She missed the target the year before, but her goal was I'm gonna get better and better and better at it, and so she's able to climb out. There's many, many, many times when we will not, there's no evidence externally that says we're going to succeed, and that stinks. That is actually unbelievably uncomfortable and difficult and challenging. It holds us back because we're waiting for that external validation again to say, yes, we're on the right path. Yes, we should be doing this. And I'm not going to go forward until something outside of me says, I should do this. And oftentimes we don't have that. We just don't. We have to be able to go, in my mind, I know where I'm heading. And even though there's no evidence for it, i got to keep trying. Can you imagine being her, climbing into that boat and then looking at In-N-Out Burger just, just a half a mile away on the coast there? That would suck. That would just stink. Man. Change is not comfortable. There's no way to do this stuff and guarantee that you will feel good. I actually heard this story because there was another gal last year, 2013. She swam from Cuba to Florida over 100 miles. She was over 60 years old when she did it. You think you're tough. Man, she swam hypothermia, boxed jellyfish, which the stings shut down your respiratory system. She swam without a shark cage, okay? That's tough. She did not feel good. Talks about throwing up as you're swimming. Took her 53 hours. 53 hours to accomplish something. That is gutsy. That is hard. So often, again, when we're working with failure stuff, when we're working on a growth and change, we hate being uncomfortable. Have I mentioned this before? Have, I, have you all got the idea that this isn't going to be easy? You're not going to be comfortable. Okay, I just want to make sure that I'm real clear on that. It's not going to be comfortable. Therefore, I will accept a certain level of discomfort. When you just accept that and say, you know what? I do not plan on being happy. Are you even allowed to say that in America? (laughs) Because I thought that's what our birthright was, to be happy, to be comfortable, to be content. It's not, ladies and gentlemen. So, if you're willing to accept a certain level of discomfort, here's what I'd like you to do. To overcome my fear of failure, I have to be willing to... I want you to write down your story. I can't answer this question for you. But there is something, there is one thing, two things maybe, that you're going, I know that this is going to make me uncomfortable. It might be a relationship thing, it might be an addiction thing, it might be a spiritual thing, it might be a work thing, a family thing. I don't know what it is. To overcome my fear of failure, I have to be willing to... I have some examples there. Be an inconvenience, look stupid, lose money, lose power, lose my reputation. What are you willing to do if it meant that you didn't have to be afraid of failing again? Take a few minutes right now. What would you write down in that blank right there? And the next thing, I have to trust that I will still be accepted by myself and others when I fail. That concept right there is what grace is about. So I want to call it graceful failure. There's a certain level of trust. There is no guarantee. I can't promise you. It is simply based in trust that if you screw up, if you are imperfect, if you make a mistake, if you are flawed, there might be the chance that you are still accepted. And for some of you, that's the first time you've ever heard that. Because you spent your whole life trying to figure out how to be good enough. How to be acceptable enough. Because you have heard people in your life, family members, spouses, coworkers, kids on the playground, saying there's something about you that isn't enough, isn't good enough. Yes. Her question is, if we're dependent on others accepting us for us to be okay with our failure... Um, again, we're back in that hostage situation again because because we can't guarantee that others are going to accept us. Here would be the here would be the invitation to consider: is every single person you bump into in this world going to reject you? We don't know. I would bet really really good money that. There might be a place somewhere in Portland that you could go to that has the idea that you are accepted the way you are, and you are are welcome to work on your stuff without being perfect, and you do receive this acceptance from others. It might not be from the people you know now, but that does not mean that there aren't people out there who are willing to do that. And so you get to choose to hang out with those people rather than choose to hang out with the people who go, you suck that make sense we are social creatures we don't we don't run around individually okay we we run in packs that's just how we are built we need community for us to thrive and I think that when you have the belief system that says nobody's going to accept me and I am completely alone in this that shapes profoundly how you relate to the world would that make sense But when we have a different belief system that says, I might not have found the people who accept me for who I am yet, but I will keep looking and I will, you know, hunt, try to track down places that talk about you're accepted the way you are and come work on your stuff. I have a couple recommendations if you're looking for that, by the way. I might know a couple spots or two that (laughs) might be able to help you out with that. Any other questions, by the way? You can ask lots of questions. Yes. Yes. Because, like, we shouldn't, I mean,
1: what I heard you say before
0: was that we should have that internalized. Correct. You know, so. Yep. Do we really care if others accept us? We're not dependent upon it. This doesn't say that we will be healthy unless everyone accepts us. It says, I'm going through the world and I'm going to accept myself. Uh, the rule of thumb is basically we teach others how to treat us by the way we treat ourselves. And so when we treat ourselves as valuable, worthwhile, and accepted, then people tend to treat us that way. We don't require it. We don't demand it. We don't walk around going, you will accept me, and if you don't accept me, then I'm not going to be happy, and so i got to do everything I can to manipulate and control you to make me happy. That's exhausting. But we do go around saying, I expect you to treat me respectfully and kindly and valuable because I'm a valuable human being. And if you choose not to treat me that way, again, I'm not going to hang out with you guys and I'm going to go hang out with people who will treat me that way. So it's not dependent, but it is um, part of the process. Any other questions? Throw them out. These are good. I like them. Questions are always really, really good. All right. Um, I mentioned trust is required to overcome failure. Just wanted to keep hitting that over and over and over again. We demand evidence. When we are trying to change, we go, I demand that I can see how this is going to work before we actually get started. And that is never going to happen. It's a massive act of faith and trust before you get started. Yep. When you say trust is required to compare, trust in whom or what? Yeah. That's a good question. The question was trust in whom, trust in what? Lots of things. It's a broad statement. Trust in yourself. Trust that you're accepted by by your creator already. Trust in other people. Trust in the process. So it's a it's a general statement. Just saying this this element is a necessary skill set. Does that make sense? Same question would be: Communication is necessary for healthy relationships. Communication about what? We could list a thousand things, but the pro- principle of communication is important. So trust. Is a skill set. By the way, this is hard for some people. I don't know if you know that. Trust can actually get, get burned and and demolished because of past experiences from some people. I work with abuse survivors all day long and who look at me and go, Why in the world should I trust anybody ever again? I did that once and I got burned bad. And if you don't live your life open to this, you build yourself an incredibly beautiful prison that you never choose to step out of. Isn't that a choice that we make all the time that we choose to trust? Yep. And some days we're better at it and some days we're worse at it. Just depends on where you're at. But yeah, it is. It's not a one-time thing. Okay, I trust now. Good, I'm good for the rest of my life. I just filled that cup up. Let's move on. No, it's every day. Every day you are saying, I'm going to try this again. I've been married for 21 years and (coughs) I have to trust my wife over and over and over again because good days and bad days, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't because we're flawed. Me a little bit more than her, but we're flawed. Yes? Um, Could vulnerability be another uh, word to fill in for trust? Could vulnerability be another word to fill in for trust? Um... Yeah, I'd be okay with that. That'd be just fine. It's your paper. You can fill in whatever you want there. Monkeys (laughs) is required to overcome. I don't know. It's up to you. Yes, trust requires vulnerability. So yeah, openness, lots of those things. Non-guardedness. Pick up a word there. Other questions as we're moving through this? When we pack 120 people in here, it gets warm, doesn't it? And this is a cool day. Some of the other nights that we've been here, it has been sweltering. So we're, we're, you know, just breathe on each other. It'll cool each other off. Um, Here's the next concept. And this was fantastic when I came across it. It's called positive uncertainty. This is, um, I just, I love this. Positive uncertainty is a philosophy for making decisions when you do not know what the future will be, which is all the time. I hear so often from my clients, I'm scared to try something because I don't know what's gonna happen. Duh. None of us knows what's gonna happen. There is, there is this concept that you can't know what's gonna happen and if you demand and you expect and you say I'm not gonna make any decisions until I know what's gonna happen, until so I have a guarantee, I'm not gonna move anywhere, you might as well just plant your roots right there because you're not going to go anywhere. And so learning how to embrace this word right here, non-uncertainty, no guarantees. Again, I used this quote in here over and over. C.S. Lewis says, we choose a known hell over an unknown heaven. We like known things even if we don't like them. Because it's known, because we don't have to grow or change, we like known things. And so, positive uncertainty is the ability to make decisions when you do not know what the future will be. I say this, this, is, this is freeing. I want you to just be able to relax and go. I don't know what's going to happen on the way home from from refuge tonight. And we hear those stories over and over and over again. I listened to a story today of a gal, she was a champion snowboarder, and at 18 years old she woke up feeling like she had the flu. Within two days her legs had been amputated because of meningitis. Two days. Today's Monday. By Wednesday, some of you might not have your legs anymore. Can you imagine that concept? And so if we go, I demand to know what happens before I move forward. Man. Bring your sleeping bags because we're staying in refuge because we're not moving anywhere. It just doesn't work. And so there's two attitudes. One is first you need to be able to accept the uncertainty of the future because the future is real and inevitable. No one's been to your future. No one's been there. This is why I think we love back to the future stories and time travel things and all that because it's like, hey, we get to break this rule and we actually know what's happening. I'd make money. I just guarantee you I will. I would go for you know stocks or something like that. There are no advanced scouts, guides, or roadmaps. And we have to accept that uncertainty. Stop demanding that tomorrow is going to be safe. Stop it. Don't do that. Simply go, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm going to wake up tomorrow and try something. You need to be positive about this uncertainty because it's better than certainty. Why is that? Because if the future were certain or even predictable, the only choice is to prepare for it. You just have to endure it. You have to tolerate it. You can't do anything about it. If it was guaranteed, you're stuck. This is the idea of fate. This is the idea of those things like that. But by being uncertain, you allow yourself to be a proactive decision maker instead of a reactive decision maker. You get to affect your future how about that? Isn't that cool? That is hopeful right there. That is when you have friends who you just don't like anymore, who are not positive in your life, you can go, I am not stuck with them. I don't just have to prepare on how to deal with them anymore. I actually don't think they should be in my life anymore and I'm going to go find healthier people. And then we do a whole series on boundaries and how to do that, but that's later proactive, it says here's where I want to get to and I can prepare for it and I'm going to make that happen in my life rather than just deal and be reactive I talk about this all the time when you are reactive you are held hostage by the events this thing happens so I've got to come up with what to do this thing happens I've got to come up with what to do and you get exhausted because you just don't know what's coming but when you get to be proactive and it's saying you know what? I don't actually like this thing. I don't think I'm going to go. That's amazing. That's just truly amazing. I had a client who, um, yeah, always goes back to family, doesn't it? Um, There was a family function that she just didn't want to go to. But again, there was all the expectations and disappointment of parents and relatives and all this thing. And she spent half the session convincing me how much she just didn't want to go to this event. And so I said, don't go. I'm a really good counselor. That's how it works, okay? And she says, well, I can't. I have to because of this and this and this and this. And I said, really? You have to? What's going to happen if you don't? Will the principal get you in trouble? No. Will they come and arrest you? No. Is it illegal not to go? No. Is it immoral not to go? Is God going to, you know, zap you? No. So it's not illegal, immoral, or fattening, and, you're not, and, you, and you don't want to go. Who's this gonna affect? Well, so and so is gonna be disappointed in me. Yes, they will. Is that okay? She goes, You're allowed to disappoint people? Whole new concept. Yeah, let's see what happens. And so she tried it, and she didn't go. And yes, there was flack. It all came back, and she showed me the text messages and the emails of, Why didn't you come? We were disappointed in all of that. And she goes, You know what? I'm still here. It didn't kill me. She still survived. She didn't die. And people were disappointed with her. And she tried it again and again and again. And now she gets to go to the functions that she actually likes. This is good. This is healthy. This is going to encourage me. This one, I'm going to pass. I just don't feel like going. Freedom. She's proactive in her world rather than reactive. Four rules. Be focused and flexible about what you want. Sorry, can you write those down? Focused, flexible. Next. Traditional decision theory stresses being focused on your future goals, which isn't a bad thing. Here's the target, here's what I wanna hit. Okay, that's not a bad thing, but it is obsolete. It is not obsolete, it is incomplete. Sorry, let me get the right words there. You still need to do that. You still need to say, here's where I wanna get. But it's an incomplete approach. Being focused helps you attain your goals, but it can prevent you from discovering new goals. When you say, this is the only way, this is where I want to get, and if I don't get there, I am a failure. I'm a screw-up. I messed up. This is the only thing to determine my success or failure. Then it actually prevents you from going, wow, I got lost? And I found this really good Thai food restaurant place. It is fantastic. You should try this. It's, it's, it is, I have a, um, a client who, she set up a bird feeder in her backyard hoping to attract birds for the summer and beautiful bird feeder lots of good nuts and berries and whatever else is in a bird feeder and she had it set up for a week or so and she went out on her back deck one day and oh you're my new best friend um and and was looking at the bird feeder and there was a squirrel crawling up the bird feeder eating all the nuts eating all the berries and stuff out of there and she goes Stinking squirrel. I don't want a squirrel eating my, my bird's seed. So she shoos it away, kicks it out of there, you know, throws rocks at it or whatever you do to get rid of squirrels. And the next day, guess who's back? The squirrel. Kicks it out of there. This time she comes out the next morning and the squirrel's sitting on her, on her, on her um, railing of her deck. And as she gets closer to it, the squirrel doesn't run away. Defiant squirrel. Op, op, um, obstinate defiant disorder. That's what I'm trying to look for. Squirrel just doesn't want to run away. And she goes, Huh, this is interesting. And so she gets, she tries something. She grabs a little peanut from her bag of bird feed or whatever it is and walks up to the squirrel slowly. And the squirrel takes the thing out of her hand. She goes, This is pretty cool. I can't believe it. And tries it again. And over the next week or so, this squirrel gets closer and closer to her. Now it comes up and, you know, leans on her patio door looking in there, like, Where's the food? (laughs) Knock, knock, knock. I want in. Where's the food? And she can open up the the door, and the squirrel doesn't run away, and it'll eat out of her hand, and it's this great little thing. She comes in, and she says, I'm really disappointed I didn't get birds, and I'm going, you're right. You didn't get birds. Guess what you got? You got squirrels. How cool is that? And she goes, oh, I love it, and so now she's learned how to let go of her original goal, Okay. This is what it means. I have a successful bird feeder. No, you got a successful squirrel feeder. Just change the name and enjoy your squirrels. And She's okay with it now. You discover new things when you when you are open to saying, this is my goal, but what if I might hit something else and it might be actually pretty good. Use your goals to guide you, not govern you. This is the um, Captain Barbosa idea. They're more like guidelines. (laughs) Stick to the code. They're more like guidelines. Pirates of the Caribbean reference. (sighs) By the way, there are rule followers out there. Some of you go, but rules are good. Rules keep me happy. Everybody should follow the rules. You guys don't like this one. That is uncomfortable for you. You might be able to bend them. Again, not, don't go illegal, don't go immoral, don't be stupid, take responsibility, but you're allowed to sort of bend them. Uh, number two, be aware and wary about what you know. So as you make decisions, as you're trying to go, how do I, what is a failure, what is success, What are my goals, what am I heading for? You have to just do that with some information. And so we do that. Good grief. Come on. When making a decision, we're told to get facts because collecting information will reduce uncertainty. We believe that. If we have more information, then I can be more certain. Did you know that that's a logical fallacy? That's actually not true. Sometimes it's helpful, but not every time. It doesn't always remove the uncertainty. Come on. The information you have is not what you want. Man, that's true all the time. I got lots of information. None of it. I just don't want it. And the information you want is not what you need. The information you need is not always available. I just need to know what's going to happen. You don't get that. You just don't get that every time. Looking for misinformation, which is missing information, and out-of-date information. This is the um, map quest that you load up to figure out where you're going, and it takes you down a road, and the road isn't done yet. But I'm following the map. The map says it should be here. Why doesn't the map show accurately? Because it's either missing information or out-of-date information. And so sometimes we have to go, how do we adjust? How do we we deal with some of that? You have to use both facts and intuition. Cognitive brain, emotional brain. Sometimes you trust your gut feeling. For those intuitives in the room, you're going, yes, finally, someone actually understands me. Yes. Yes. Heard another fascinating story about a guy who had a brain injury and it, and it removed this portion of his brain, it just shut it down, and he got stuck for four hours in the cereal aisle one day. Because trying to decide on cereal rationally, how do you decide? This one has more fiber, this one has more grains, this one has more color, this one has more raisins, this one, how do you decide what's more important or not? It actually comes down to, I think I like this one better. you got stuck for four hours. That's terrible. (laughs) Serial. To be aware and wary is to use your whole brain. The rational, factual side of the intuitive, imaginative, the rational, factual side and the intuitive, imaginative side. Scripture actually talks about that. Did you know it? Philippians, it talks about there is a peace that passes understanding. Sometimes we have a peace about something that doesn't actually make sense. It passes understanding. And it's there to guard your heart, emotions, and your mind. Logical decision-making. In Christ Jesus. It's how we're built. And if we weigh one side or the other, then it actually becomes problematic. This, by the way, the rational brain, um, the rational factual side, um, in our society right here, right now, we um, actually lean a little bit more towards this, but this is gaining ground very, very quickly. We could talk a lot about um, post-modernism and um, decision-making and scientific revolution, and I should have figured out how to put this in there, but I didn't. But um, we've come out of an entire... 200, 300 years that said if you can't measure it, if you can't prove it, then it's not worth anything. And so the scientific method and all those things like that, we're always gaining weight over, over uh, feelings and, and, and intuition. Now we're moving to the other side, which is post-modernism, which modernism which says my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, there is no absolute truth, and we're all just going to get along. Neither one, neither end of that works. You just can't. You have to use both sides. All right, we're going to crank through this because I knew it. (laughs) We're just not going to get through all of it. It's a stupid idea to take notes. Um, Be realistic and optimistic about what you believe. Realistic and optimistic about what you believe. What you believe determines what you see and do. This is fantastic. In fact, this concept right here is so important, we're gonna spend an entire night on it. It's called confirmation bias. If we already believe something, we take in information that confirms that belief and we ignore information that challenges that belief. So what you believe determines what you see and do. It actually is about, um, well, let's do this. To be realistic is not to be totally objective because there is no such thing. We all have our opinions. We all have our paradigms. We all have our biases. Knowing what those are will help you make better decisions and help determine what is a failure and what is a success. Um, Come on. There we go. Reality is not what is out there. It is also in the mind's eye of the beholder. That's a very postmodern belief right there, isn't it? But it's true. How we perceive things means this is my reality, and how you perceive things is your reality, again, based upon those beliefs you already have in place. Come on. The optimistic part of the principle helps you notice how beliefs can be prophecy. Again, if we believe something, then we actually make it happen. It can be prophetic. We can say, I already believe this, therefore this is going to happen. When it comes to failure, this right here is what keeps us stuck so often because I sit with clients all the time and I go, here's where you're at and here's where you want to be. And I'll have clients spend 20, 30, 40 minutes convincing me why they can't do that because they already believe in their brain that they're disqualified, unskilled, unable, whatever that is, and they spend a lot of emotional energy convincing me that they will never do it. And you know what? They're right. So my job isn't to talk them out of it. My job is to say, do you notice how you're doing this? Do you notice you just spent the last 40 minutes convincing me why you can't do it? How's that working out for you? Optimism leads to proactive. Put in the word control right here. That's a great word. You have control over your life. This may may be the most significant factor in creative decision making. And then finally, do whole body decision making. Did you know that most people just do not know how they decide? They just think, oh, I make a decision. But they don't understand the process. They don't understand the thinking behind it. That's what we're gonna spend some time doing in this six-week series, helping you understand how you think, which now determines if something is a success or something is a failure. Because if you don't understand how you decide, then you're held captive to reactive thinking, not proactive thinking. You just have to tolerate what happens. To be whole-brained and bodied, you use both your head and your heart while deciding. Holistic approach. I really like holistic approaches. All right, another Barbosa principle. Avoid rigid decision rules. Rules are for guidance, not obedience. Even me, okay, growing up as a in a conservative Christian home, I read that sentence and I go, really, Paul? You're gonna write that and put that up there and let people listen to that? You sure? Rules are for guidance, not obedience. I'm looking forward to somebody pushing back on that, by the way. I, That'll I be. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> You're going to go right now. Go. Marriage. I mean, um, you could say, oh, there's rules about being married. You know, you don't see the thing Isn't that something to obey? Right. Not, there are some times when you, you have to you know, Right. Right. I'm not sure I want to open this up right now. Let me think about it for a second. I'm just looking at the clock. No, that's okay. it's okay. No, it's, it's, it's a good question. It's a good thing like that. Um, What you're talking about there is fidelity. And here's, again, the story that I hear over and over and over again that that are practical, hands-on struggles for clients that I sit with day to day is I sit with a woman who has been viciously abused for the last seven years, eight years, ten years of her marriage. But she gets counsel from people around her who say, The rules are you never leave your husband ever, even though it's threatening her life. I think I could make a good argument that says that would be a good guideline, but there are parameters which make it healthier to step out of that rather than to stay in it. Is that making sense? Am I walking that line carefully enough to, to... Yeah, it's... We're going to spend a week talking about rigid thinking and, um, and open thinking. That doesn't mean, again, there's no absolutes, but it means how you approach the world. That word there means you get very rigid rigid thinking, and that can actually get you stuck in, in many situations, but we're going to move on. Make up your mind creatively. Every decision is different. Every strategy should be different. This is the MacGyver principle. I MacGyver, anyone know who MacGyver is? Welcome to the 80s. I love MacGyver. Remember what the MacGyver principle was? What did he carry? What did he carry around? He carried three things. Swiss Army knife, duct tape, and paper clip. No, he always finds the paper clip. Um, watch the first episode. I did a couple weeks ago. It was really interesting, by the way. 80 shows are bad. Bad TV, bad writing, bad effects. I don't know how we survived the 80s. Big hair, man, it was terrible. He carried three things, Swiss Army knife, duct tape, and an empty bag. Because he said, I'll find what I need along the way. Can you imagine him going, yes, I will take this life-threatening situation. Give me all of the exact details so I can make sure I have every tool necessary. He'd have to back up a craftsman truck and sneak into the the place to defuse the bomb. If he needed all of the stuff, MacGyver said, I'll take basic tools, little knife, little duct tape, and I'll find everything else along the way. He embodies this, this idea of positive uncertainty. I don't know what's going to happen. I trust that I can handle it. Wow, we could all be MacGyver from the 80s and the mullet. That is what we could walk away with. Wouldn't that be cool? We would love that. We should get a group picture. We should find wigs with mullets and get a group picture of everyone wearing mullets. That would be a great group picture. Hello, over there. So, positive uncertainty, you don't know what's gonna happen. Trust that you have the tools and then just head in behind enemy lines to defuse the bomb. Become a versatile, creative decision maker. Versatile, I don't know what this one's gonna be different than last time. Cool, I might learn something different. This one's gonna be different than the time before. As a counselor, I can guarantee you that I have never sat with the same client twice. They come in with new stuff all the time, all the time, all the time. And the ones I can't handle, by the way, I'm, I think I'm a good counselor, but I can't actually help everybody. So, does that mean I'm stuck and I, they're stuck? No, it means I I can't help you. I know who can. And I hand them off to someone who will take care of them. Because I know my limits. I don't have to fix everything. You don't either. Uh, Being positive about uncertainty brings about the opportunity for proactive creativity. Hear that word over and over? Am I just beating that into the ground yet? Proactive creativity instead of reactive. This is about... This is how you overcome failure, is this mentality. The future is certain. All you can do is prepare for it. That's the bad news. When the future is uncertain, you have the opportunity to influence it. That is so nice. This is the adult principle, by the way. In life, we typically react out of three kind of states, Um, The fancy word is called transactional analysis. It means that we usually operate out of the child mentality or state, we operate out of the protector mentality or state, and we operate out of the adult mentality or state. Children have to tolerate. They do not get to influence their their world very much. I can remember going shopping with my mother as she was looking for clothes. As an 11-year-old boy, going with your mother as she's shopping for clothes is death warmed over man it's just terrible and there's nothing you can do about it so you sit underneath the clothes racks and you find rubber bands and you just try to entertain yourself as much as you can you have to tolerate it adults can go mom nice to see you you're going shopping wonderful have a great time i'm going to a movie We don't have to tolerate, we can be proactive, we can influence our future. Um, You can be part of creating your future. How many of you watch the show Sherlock, BBC? If you haven't seen it, that is your homework, okay? It's on Netflix, rent it, steal cable from your neighbors, whatever it's gonna take, watch Sherlock. Why do you think Sherlock, for those who have seen it, what do you think is the draw to that show? Why do people like it? It's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. That's a pretty broad statement, but why? why? What's, what's the cool factor about it? Everything. Everything. <laughs> what's his attitude? He's not pompous. He's confident. That's the word. That is exactly... The idea, Sherlock, I wrote it down here, has the magical power of having certainty when everyone else doesn't. He breaks this rule because we have positive uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen, but Sherlock has this magical world that the BBC has created where he goes, I can look at you and I know everything about you for certain. Bad news. (laughs) It's a TV show. It doesn't exist. Yeah. There aren't guys who can do that. It's a bummer, isn't it? Because it's such, such a <sighs> good show. He's actually a high-functioning psychopath. Sociopath. Not a psychopath. Sociopath. That's what he calls himself. Uh, so I don't know if we actually want to be that. High-functioning sociopath with mullets. That's a good goal for the group. No. A fairy tale is going, I can, be un- I can be certain about everything. You can't. So as you walk out of here tonight, I want you to go, I'm gonna get in my car, I'm gonna get on my bicycle, I'm gonna start walking down the street, and I don't know what's gonna happen in the next 20 minutes. I can't wait to see what happens. I tell my clients all the time, get lost. Not like we're done with the session, get out of here, get lost. As you're going through life, okay? If you don't know where you're going, and MapQuest gives you the wrong directions, <laughs> Take some time to get lost. See what you discover. You might find some really cool places that you didn't know, you didn't expect. That is positive uncertainty. If you can start to adopt and move into that mentality, it's going to profoundly change everything that you believe about failure and success. Next week, we're going to start with kind of the basic principles of failure and success. We're going to talk about how I got introduced to this whole concept, how it rocked my world, profoundly changed my world in an event that I never expected it to. But that one event on one day has taken me on this path for the last five, six, seven years to get where I am now. I hope you guys have some of those experiences as well. I don't know what they're going to be in your life, but I hope you have some of them. Okay? Now, since the future is uncertain, I hope to see you next week, but I can't guarantee it. Okay? We'll see what happens. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.